Our text this morning is Revelation 21, verses 9 through 21. Revelation 21, 9 through 21. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its walls, wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate was made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. After the sermon, let's sing together hymn 53, stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have in our text this morning a description of the new Jerusalem. The eight verses before our text, which we read together, also talks about the new Jerusalem, the holy city. Just so we understand where we are, what the book of Revelation has been telling us is that when the history of the world as we know it comes to its end, Jesus Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. Everybody will be raised up from the dead, both believers and unbelievers. Everybody will receive their bodies back. And there will be a final judgment. The devil and all who follow him will go to the lake of fire, which is hell itself. But believers will be established on a a new heaven and a new earth, which means that this world as we know it will be purified by fire. And heaven will come down on earth And we will live on this earth in a renewed and glorious state forever. That is described as the new Jerusalem 
coming down from heaven as a bride prepared for her husband. We'll talk more about that in our sermon. On that day, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Sin, death, and pain will be no more, and the dwelling of God will be with man. Our text this morning deals with the same New Jerusalem, but what it does is it expands on it, and it teaches us even more the significance of what it will be to live in the New Jerusalem together with God forever. Now, this New Jerusalem is something that we've all thought about at some time. What am I talking about? We've always thought about the New Jerusalem. You probably thought about it since you were a child. This city of gold, of jasper, even the streets are are paved with gold. There will be a river running through it, no temple, no sun, because God will be its light. We have been mesmerized by by this dream, this, this glorious city which will be established on the last day of the world, and that's where we're going to live. But if you if you've thought about it enough, if you've dreamed long enough about this, this new holy city, the new Jerusalem, you've probably also come to a point where you said, is that all there is? Gold and jasper and, and pearls? I mean, gold is nice, but it's, it's just stuff. Is there a deeper meaning to the description of the new Jerusalem? And then we remember... We recall that the entire book of Revelation is filled with symbols and and figurism, figurativism. You know, we call this apocalyptic prophecy, which means it, it uses images and figures which are exaggerated, larger than life, to give us a deeper, more meaningful message. We read about a dragon. There are no dragons, but we all know what a dragon is. There's a beast that comes from the sea. There's a great prostitute who seduces and intoxicated people from the whole world. And we understand that that is figurative language that that revealed to us how dangerous the devil is. How dangerous culture can be and media and the secular education system. We are told we live in a dangerous world. And with that in mind, as we turn to the New Jerusalem and we read about the gold and the pearls and the amethyst and so on, we say, is there a deeper meaning to all of this? And there is. And we will see that this morning. What our text will do for us is give us comfort and hope. Fact is, we live in a world and a a culture that hates God and hates the kingdom of light and would love to see each and every one of us break down in our faith to be seduced or manipulated or threatened to compromise our faith, to give into the world, to pick up the lust of the flesh and turn our backs on God. But we are called to stay strong and firm in our faith. In fact, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus no matter what the cost. The question is... Is it worth it? Will it be worth it? And our text says, more than you can ever imagine. If you are prepared to suffer for a little while for Christ's sake, you will enter into a glory for eternity that will take your breath away. We'll look at that this morning under this theme. In the New Jerusalem, God will dwell with his people in a new and wonderful way. 
We'll look at the inhabitants of the city, measurements of the city, and material of the city. We read in the opening words of our text, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. It was rather unsettling to to read this. Why should it be one of the angels with the seven bowls filled with the seven plagues, why should that be the angel that introduces John to the bride of Christ? And those were, were angels that brought doom and gloom, and that was actually quite a while ago. But obviously, there's a point being made here, and there's a certain parallel. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 17, you read there that one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. So there we have one of the angels with one of the seven bulls of plagues. He brings John to see the great prostitute, and he brings him out to the desert to see her and to see her punishment. That was then, and now is now. And now it's one of the angels with the seven bowls of plagues who takes John to see the bride, the wife of Jesus Christ. Now how much different can you get than that? A prostitute and a bride. The prostitute is is false religion, world culture. The bride is the church that has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You could almost call this the tale of two cities. City of darkness, a city of light. At a glance, the city of darkness, the prostitute, may look more beautiful. She is stunning. She is ravishing. She has seduced so many men and intoxicated them with her pleasures, with her worldly goods, and has destroyed their lives. Well, that's not real beauty. But the bride of Jesus Christ... She is truly stunning. She is truly beautiful. And that is because she has been washed in the blood of Christ and born again by the power of His Spirit. You see, right from the outset of our text, we are reminded that as a church of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are so different from a worldly, unbelieving culture. And it is going down to destruction. But the bride of Jesus Christ is prepared for something beautiful and stunning for eternity. If you are willing to listen and to follow and to submit yourself to the word of God, you are part of that beautiful bride prepared for eternity. And now, in a vision, John is transported to a high mountain where he has shown the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. That's almost exactly the same thing we we read in the first eight verses. The the new Jerusalem comes from above as a bride prepared for her husband. The first thing we need to make clear is that the new Jerusalem is not a literal, physical structure. How many of you have always looked at the New Jerusalem as a building, literally a building, that God has constructed in heaven and the building is going to come down. But it's not. And I can prove that from the text. The holy city, the New Jerusalem, is described as the bride or the wife of Christ. 
It's not a building. It's the church. It's people who have been washed in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. And as we develop our, our, the explanation of our text, we will see the significance of why the church is described as a city with walls and streets and gates and so on. But do not see the new Jerusalem as a building, but as a church of Jesus Christ. And she comes from above, because just like we sometimes describe being born again, Scripture also calls it being born from above. This church, this new Jerusalem, she has been constructed, she has been made by the grace of God alone. It is heaven that has made us the church of Jesus Christ and caused us to be washed in the blood of Christ. Now there is, of course, physical elements to this. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And you know better than most people that a church is not a building. Because your building's over there and you're in a school gym. But you are still the church of Jesus Christ sitting here in a school gym. But, but we have physical lives. We're real people living in a, in a real world. And also in the new heaven and new earth, it will be a real, material, physical world. We will have bodies, we will live in a material world, but the emphasis is on people who, like living stones, have been made into the temple of the living God. Now, John sees this holy city and describes her in this way. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. There's so much going on here, you, you almost don't know where to begin. We'll begin with the expression, the glory of God. Particularly in the Old Testament, the glory of God meant God himself. You cannot see God, but when God is present, then his glory shines in all its radiance. Think of Moses on the mountain meeting with God. When he left the mountain, his face was shining with glory because the, the face of God was reflected in Moses' own face. It was the glory of God. And when God entered the temple, we read there, the glory of God entered the temple. The glory of God is a visible way of showing that God is present. And he, of course, is awesome and he is glorious. But the important thing here, brothers and sisters, is not simply that we're talking about the glory of God. But look where he is. Our text says the glory of God, that means God himself, is in the Jerusalem. It is in the church. That means in eternity, God will be Emmanuel with us, dwelling in our midst, walking in our world, wiping away the tears from our eyes. God in our midst forever in a way that we have never seen before. And now we're starting to get into some deeper things. Our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament, they had a preoccupation with the presence and the nearness of God. And we're talking here holy preoccupation. A Jew, an Israelite, remembered with sadness that there was a time that their first parents could walk with God in the Garden of Eden. Nobody has walked with God like that since the first days of this world. We think of Abraham living here on this earth. He didn't care that he never had a home or a country that he could call entirely his own. Because it says in Hebrews 11, he was looking for a day when he would have a city whose architect and builder is God. Because Abraham was looking for a day 
that God could be near to him and live beside him in a new city and a new world. The temple was so important in the Old Testament because in the temple, God came to dwell in the Holy of Holies. And then there's the prophecy of Ezekiel. We read a part of that together. Ezekiel 40 through 48 is a prophecy of of a new temple. A new temple, a new city, and a new land. Actually, Ezekiel was prophesying of exactly the same thing as John in our text. With this difference, Ezekiel saw a temple in the new city. John says there is no temple in in the new Jerusalem. And that's because our Lord Jesus Christ has come, he has redeemed people, poured out his Holy Spirit. John says, in a new world, there will be no temple where God will sit in a room at arm's length from his people. He won't be in a room. He won't be in a boxed place. Because in a new world, God walks in our midst. God is among us. And even Ezekiel understood that. In the last line of his prophecy, Ezekiel 48, he said, And the name of the city from that time on will be, The Lord is there. Yahweh is there. Emmanuel, God with us. You notice that the theme of our sermon was that in the new Jerusalem, God will dwell with his people in a new and wonderful way. The new and wonderful way that God will dwell with us in the new Jerusalem is that he will be among us. When you are there, brothers and sisters, you will see Jesus Christ. You can walk to him and you can put your arms around your Lord and Savior. Literally, you can do that. And you will see the Father. He'll look at you. He'll walk to you. With his own hands, he will wipe away the tears from your eyes so that you will never weep again. It's a new world. It's the dawn of a new age. The dwelling of God will be with His people. There is nothing that we can say today or at any point of our lives that is more riveting and exciting than that. Never mind the gold. Never mind the sapphire and the pearls. God, with us, with me, Dwelling forever in a new world without pain and without sin and without tears. Without prejudice, without any trouble whatsoever. That's how God will dwell with us in a new and wonderful way. Face to face. And now we read in verses 12 through 14 that this new Jerusalem had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And there were three gates to the east, the north, the south, and the west. And the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now here we see that John is describing the New Jerusalem in a figurative, symbolic way. You see that if you just look at the wall. In verse 16, we read that the wall is 1,200 stadia tall. Now, 1,200 stadia is 2,400 kilometers. That's the distance from here to Vancouver and back. You know that the wall in the New Jerusalem isn't going to be that tall, literally. In fact, you've got to ask the question, why do you even need a wall? In the Old Testament, you only had a wall for one reason, and that's to keep the enemy out. 
But there are no enemies. They're all gone. They are in the lake of fire. But this is a, a, a figurative way of describing a city with a wall that is inviolable, that is impenetrable, because this city is safe. It's like Jerusalem of old, which was, you know, the enemy could, could hardly get into the Jerusalem. What we are being told is that in a, in a new world, in the new Jerusalem, there's nothing that can harm you. No army can invade. No disease can come in. No weeds will grow. There'll be no cancer, no heart attacks. This Jerusalem is utterly safe. There is nothing, literally nothing, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this city is described as having 12 gates, and, and on the gates, or at the gates, are 12 angels. Three gates to the east, three to the north, three to the south, and three to the west. And two things are being emphasized here. The New Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. This is the, the nice thing about church. It doesn't have a secret passageway. It doesn't have some clandestine secret code to get in. My, oh my, the doors are wide open in every direction. That's why we sang Psalm 87 together. The church, the gospel is open for the world. People of every color, people of every nationality, people of every walk of life, the door is open to the church of Jesus Christ. But there are angels at the doors like the angels guarding the, the Garden of Gethsemane that Adam and Eve could not go back. You see, the only way you are going to get in is if you are beautiful and if you are glorious. And we're not talking here about physical beauty or, or body shape or something like that. The beauty of a Christian is to be washed in the blood of Christ and born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. The doors to the church are wide open. Because the gospel goes out and everyone who hears it and believes and is washed by the blood of Christ is in for eternity. You belong to God. What that tells us, brothers and sisters, is that while we still got time, because the end is not here yet, although it could be here at any moment, while there's still time, we got to get out there. Now you can say the door's open there. But so what? Who's going to come in because the door is open? Unless you go out that door into the world and let your neighbor, your co-worker, your fellow student, unless you show to them and let them know the good news of Jesus Christ. We have heard here in the book of Revelation, we've heard about the lake of fire. It is repulsive. It is horrifying. It's almost too much to stomach to think of a world going to hell. And now we hear about the, the new, beautiful Jerusalem. If that doesn't inspire you, if that doesn't give you compassion, and passion to get out into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ, I don't know what will. The doors are open, but we've got to go out the door into the world to let everybody know the good news of Jesus Christ. And I am awfully sure that each and every person sitting here as a golden opportunity in his or her life to share the news with at least one person. And imagine the joy of that, of by the grace of God, be allowing to, to bring someone to know Jesus and to be saved by him. 
Now, all of this is brought home by the fact that on the gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and on the foundations, the 12 apostles. By the way, you notice how often the number 12 comes up in the book of Revelation or multiples of 12. 24, 144, 144,000, 12,000. The number 12 is a number of perfection and completeness. And it points to the church of Jesus Christ. It will be complete. It will be perfect. And and, and mentioning both the tribes of Israel and the apostles makes clear that the church of Jesus Christ is both Jew and Gentile. Also the Jews, the people of the Old Testament, are part of the New Jerusalem, part of the people of the living God. There's one interesting item here, and perhaps I'm making too much of it, but just, just listen. On the gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Gates are important, but as everybody knows, foundations. That's the basic. The Bible always talks about the foundation. But it's on the foundation you have the names of the apostles. Because it's the apostles who build on the, on the prophets, but they're also the ones who see Jesus, saw him live and die. He was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, so they come with the full gospel. And what that tells us, brothers and sisters, is that the new Jerusalem is going to be absolutely beautiful and and glorious and, and wonderful for us. But you personally need to stand on the firm foundation of the prophets and the apostles to be any part of it. Membership and the Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church does not give you a ticket into the New Jerusalem. Only one thing does, that in your own heart, in your heart, you genuinely believe and live out in your life that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ has opened the door to the kingdom of heaven. He's opened the door to the church wide for us. And he knocks at the door of our hearts And he says, you, open your heart to me. That brings us to the point that the city also has measurements. And we read in our text that the angel is measuring the city. Now You have to understand that the whole idea of measurement in the Bible is a very important matter. I'm sure you know Psalm 16, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And we like that psalm. What does it mean? In the Bible, measuring is a way of speaking of salvation. When Israel came to Canaan, they came to the the promised land, and the whole land was measured out. There was the tribe, there was a family, and then measured out was your own piece of property. Put your house there, plant your fig tree in your vine, sit there and enjoy life, You belong to the people of God, and you have a share in the coming Christ. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. It's been measured. This is my spot. And it is for me the promise of sharing in Jesus Christ. That's why after Israel came back from Babylonian captivity, we read in the prophecy of Zechariah, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. 
And also in the, in the prophecy of Ezekiel, the vision of Ezekiel, we see the, the, the man, perhaps the angel of the Lord, measuring out the whole temple. Measuring out of Jerusalem and the temple is a way of saying, God is here, you are here as well. Now the measuring of the new Jerusalem tells us, brothers and sisters, this is not a transitory place. You're not passing through. This is not an interim situation. You are not on probation. It's not like the new Jerusalem might last for 200 years and then poof, we are all annihilated or or maybe we go to hell. Jerusalem is permanent. The measuring line has been drawn out also for you, my brother, my sister. As someone who believes in Jesus Christ, there's a place for you in the new Jerusalem. The lines have been drawn. That's your home. That's your place. That's where God will meet you. That's where you can live through eternity. You have a place in the new Jerusalem. And there is nothing that is ever going to take that away or to put it down. Now, as the angel measures, he discovers that the new Jerusalem is a perfect square. In fact, it is a perfect cube. Each each wall is 12,000 stadia long and 12,000 stadia high. If you do the math, if you pull out your little uh, calculator and try to cube these numbers, it'll go, your, uh, your calculator won't be able to handle it. It's many, many trillions of cubic kilometers. A number of commentators have pointed out that the, the size of this New Jerusalem is actually the size of the inhabited world at that time. That's very significant. We do read that the angel was using man's measurements. So we're not talking literal numbers, but numbers that, that we can understand. We so say, what's the point here? Again, we got the number 12. We got a perfect cube. The city is a perfect cube. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies in the temple where God dwelt was also a perfect cube? The number 12, the perfect cube, expresses this is going to be a perfect world where God will dwell in our midst. It actually covers the inhabited world at that time. We begin to understand that the New Jerusalem is not just a place perhaps in the Middle East. It's not just a little cube somewhere on this earth. The New Jerusalem actually covers the whole earth. The world as we know it now, it will be purified. The hospitals, the the prisons, the graveyards, police forces, armies, bombs, all gone. It will be a paradise restored. But the new Jerusalem will go over the whole earth. People will be living everywhere. And that is a dwelling of God. Throughout the earth, God is with his people and he meets with them. Absolutely, when you begin to, to understand this, it is a stunning An amazing, beautiful image of what lies in store for us. It it reminds us of of an old hymn. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou city ever blessed. Within thy portals first I find my safety, peace, and rest. My goal is fixed, one thing I ask, whate'er the cost may be. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, soon to arrive in thee. That is our, our home that we are looking forward to, the lines of fallen for us in pleasant places. 
That brings us to our concluding remarks. There are also materials used in the construction of the New Jerusalem. The walls are jasper. The foundations and and the walls are are studded with decorative, beautiful, precious stones of, of every color in the rainbow. The streets are gold. The gates are are a single pearl. If you do the math, those pearls are 75 feet in diameter. And again, we understand we're not talking literal things here, although God, God, God can easily make, make the new world out of gold. Gates can be a single pearl as big as this room. No problem. But it is not the point. And you all understand it. We understand that beauty is not in things like gold and silver and pearls, as wonderful as they may be. And the whole Bible in our text is made clear, what is beautiful is the glory of God and the people who have been washed in the blood of Christ. And then as you pay attention to our text and you're going through all those materials and you read about how beautiful they are, we read expressions like the pure gold is as pure as glass. And like transparent glass. What the city is built of is translucent. Things shine through it or things reflect off it. And you realize that that beautiful gold street and those precious jewels in the walls and those, those gates of pearls, they're not beauty in themselves. It's what you see through it or, or it's what it's reflecting. And what that is, is the glory of God and a people who have been washed in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. You know what sparkles? Do you know what shines? Do you know what's glorious about the new Jerusalem? You are, my brothers and sisters. Look at yourself. Washed in the blood of Christ, you shine like stars in heaven. To use the words of of 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As the new Jerusalem, we are the new Jerusalem. We are the stones. We are the gold. We are what shines because we have been washed in the blood of Christ and we are now kings and priests who give our lives perfectly to the praise and the glory of God. Again, another amazing development. In the Old Testament, nobody went into the Holy of Holies to meet God except the high priest once per year and he better have the smoke billowing in front of him so he didn't see anything. But not in the New Jerusalem. In the New Jerusalem, God will be in our midst. And he will be our light. We don't need a sun because God is our, our light. And he will cause the light to shine in you. You will sparkle. You will be glorious. You will be a priest who stands before God and gives your life to his praise and glory forever. Brings us back to our original question. What's this all about, this description of the new Jerusalem? It is our comfort. In our hope, we live in a world, a culture, where we are being seduced to sexual immorality, to addictions, to materialism, to just just living your life for yourself. Jesus Christ calls upon you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus, even if it costs you your job. 
Even if it causes you friendship. Even if it causes you to deny pleasures that everyone else seems to enjoy. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to deny sin and to belong to Jesus Christ? Absolutely. You are going to shine like a star in heaven. Each one of you, a pearl, a diamond, the purest gold, spending eternity as the new Jerusalem in the presence of God with every tear wiped away from our eyes. And we will live in joy with our God and with each other. He or she who has an ear, please listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen.